Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the August 20, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 28. A holy challenge. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Burt Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. I only know some things because my family feels a need to tell me about them. Because I am very aware that I would never do anything in public that might annoy or bother or offend someone else, clearly. But my family, for some reason, seems to think that's not the case, and they have to give me evidence for this. So, for example, I have been known to get excited and raise my voice and just be talking loudly at a restaurant. And Regina will be, did you realize how loud you're talking? Like, I'm not talking that loud. I'm just excited. And anyway, she's probably right. And then there was the time, and sometimes I do things that I don't think about. I'm an old guy, so I just do weird things sometimes. But I was shopping in a grocery store with my with my son and his wife, and we were just talking and shopping, and I reached over and got some bacon and put it in the cart and headed off, and they started laughing, and I was like, what? And they were like, that's not your cart, and you just put bacon in it. <laughs> so the nice lady whose cart I had taken, thankfully, was not upset with me. She thought it was funny, too. But anyway, I do weird stuff like that. So I'm curious if any of you sometimes do things in public that might upset or bother or irritate other people. Oh, absolutely. I am I am an extrovert and my son and some of my friends are very introverted. So if I'm ever in public with them, they get very upset cuz I want to talk to everybody. <laughs> I want to ask questions. If somebody asks a question, I'm going to raise my hand and participate and it makes them uneasy, but what really makes them uneasy is when I'll go talk to strangers. There was a commercial, one of the funny commercials about are you becoming your parents and the guy is like at a grocery store and he goes out of his way he stops he goes out of his way to talk to a manager about how good the guy was on aisle five with the cereal or something like that i've done that and it oh, really yeah. just drives <laughs> it, yeah my son cannot wait to get away from me. <laughs> I do that all the time. Yes, my my family knows to bring a comfy chair wherever they go because I'm going to find someone and uh, yeah, find out who their mama is, where they grew up, all that. But and I'm, man, we're all alike here. Yeah, David, from one loud talker to another. Yeah, I hear you. My what are the what are the? I don't know that it upsets people, but I'm constantly being called out on this. I, I am. I can be so vague with something. Like for instance, I will. This is not at all uncommon for me to walk into the living room where my wife is and say. Yeah. Do you know where that thing is? <laughs> no the, the, the things that make sense in my mind, and I give no context, nothing, no context clues. And yet my family's always saying, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? <laughs> so Mr. Vague over here. That, I that's something she knew. I and she just got, oh, yeah, it's right over there. Yeah, no. I, I wish, but yeah. She has decidedly not tried to get inside my head, which is a, probably a safe Smart. move there. Yeah. So I kind of was thinking about this, and it was hard for me because I live in existence in which I work very hard to not annoy people. It's just my personality, the way that I'm made, which is a very self-conscious ex existence, so I don't recommend it. 
But as y'all were talking, I'm a loud talker too, like a really loud talker. And so, yes, sometimes that really does annoy the people around me and my children. And I've even annoyed myself with it before. So, yes, I am a very loud talker and that will happen anywhere, anywhere. I'm just going to blame being a former drum major for that. You learn to project, (laughs) right? Right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We have a text today that we have not really looked at this text very often. And so I'm excited for us to have a chance to grapple with it. Like many texts, it can be difficult. So we have brought aboard our very much expert on difficult texts person, Daniel Glaze, to get us started with this one today. If I'm the expert, we are a sad bunch. (laughs) But no, friends, today's text is a really long one. In fact, you could split these 28 verses into three sections and have three different weeks of small group lessons if you should choose. Section 1, verses 1 through 9, the religious leaders approach Jesus and ask him why his disciples don't follow that tradition of the elders by washing their hands before eating. And Jesus lets loose on them by quoting Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine. Or as Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase of Scripture puts it, they use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. Section 2, verses 10 through 20, are certainly related to the first because Jesus is continuing his teaching. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles, Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth and the heart. Those are what defile a person. Section 3, verses 21 through 28, go in a very different direction. This story is a strange one, a difficult one. We might even say an offensive one. In this story, frankly, Jesus does not sound like himself. No, Jesus does not come off looking good here. That may be troubling troubling for some to hear, but I challenge you to read this story from Matthew in a serious manner, and I believe you would draw the same conclusion. Jesus has just come from Nazareth, his hometown, remember, where his friends and even his own family have been offended at his teaching and his preaching. Jesus has just received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, the very one who baptized him, had been killed. He just had to get away to withdraw for some alone time. But the crowds keep pressing in on Jesus, hungry and tired crowds, so he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. Then there was the storm at sea and Peter's attempt to walk on water, failing, beginning to sink, and Jesus has to rescue him. Everywhere Jesus turns, someone needs something from him, and he can barely take it anymore. Along comes this Canaanite woman, crying out to Jesus to heal her daughter. But Jesus doesn't even bother to answer her. He just keeps on walking, perhaps hoping that if if he ignores her, she will go away. And to be honest, Jesus is rude and dismissive to her. Maybe if he can just ignore her, she will leave. You've been there, haven't you? You pull off the interstate at an exit, and at the end of the ramp, you see him. A homeless person stands in the median, holding a sign saying, Lost job, need to feed family, God bless. He looks right at you, but you look away, staring straight ahead at the stoplight. You're not trying to be rude, but... You're in a hurry. You don't have time for an encounter, and 
What's more, you don't not really sure you have any cash on you anyway. Just look straight ahead. Don't make eye contact, you tell yourself. Maybe Jesus is hoping that if he keeps his eyes straight ahead and ignores her shouts and keep walking, she'll get the message here. After all, she's a woman. She's a mother of a mentally ill child, and she's not even a Jew. In that time and culture, that's three strikes. She's out. Knowing she has nothing to lose, this Canaanite woman approaches Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is tormented by demons. But Jesus is exhausted. He can't help her. Enough is enough. Jesus says to his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. A little harsh, but that is that. Only that wasn't that. This pushy woman walks right over the line and gets in Jesus' face and says, Lord, help me. And you can hear Jesus' irritation hitting the boiling point when he answers, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Oh my goodness, Jesus. Did you really just say that? Did you really just call this woman a dog? That's a slur. Jesus, she's not a dog. She's a mother, sick with worry, desperate for help. Didn't you say, ask and you will be given, seek and you will find? This woman pushes right back. Call me a dog if you want, but even dogs are getting treated better than you're treating me. Can't you spare a few crumbs of grace? I'm not even asking for me, but for my daughter who is sick. Luke Powery is the dean of the chapel at Duke University. As he puts it, this woman's sass saves her. Yes, read through all four Gospels. This story from Matthew, and the same story in Mark 7, is unique. This is the only time in Scripture that anyone ever wins an argument with Jesus. And to her rebuttal, Jesus' voice becomes softer. She's right, he says to himself. So he says, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you. And this desperate mother, who would do anything for her sick child, finds that her daughter was healed instantly. So in this encounter, Jesus accepts this woman's holy challenge. In closing, I'll say this. This Canaanite mother has given you and me a great gift. Because I don't know about you, David or Bert or Nikki, but I am not ethnically Jewish. That means I, like the rest of y'all Gentiles, was once outside the family, outside the promise. But this woman challenged Jesus to open his heart and let us in. Together, standing side by side, this woman and Jesus show us that the promise of God is withheld from no one. That's some background on our text for today. Daniel, it's your closing that really, I think, hits home for a lot of us, for me, but a lot of us in American Protestant Christianity 
who seem to think that we own Jesus, and it's our we own Jesus that goes out to the world. Because essentially what I heard you saying by reminding us that we're not Jewish is that in this story, we're not Jesus and we're not the disciples, that we are the dogs. Yeah, if you just look at, ethnically speaking, I would have had more in common with the Canaanite woman. Yeah. Yeah, I I might have been withheld. I would have been outside. And yet, how tightly do we hold on to grace and hold on to the resources of the church because we don't want it to go to the wrong people or the people who don't deserve it? And here in the story, that would be us. Wow. Thank you. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Everybody thinks I'm really weird, but I have always gravitated toward this text. And I think it's because it challenges me on so many levels. I identify, like from my place in life, I identify with both the woman and the disciples. I have been the person saying, come on, y'all, let's just go. Let's not stay here. We need to just go and get some rest. But I've also been a woman in ministry in the Baptist world. And there's a lot of things that are kept from you when that is your place in life. And so maybe that's why I have found myself drawn to it. But over the last several years, I actually have found some ways that I identify with Jesus. There are times in which I have had to learn that the, what's the word I'm looking for? The tapes, like the things that we rely on and we just say, because everybody says, um, I need a word for that. I know what you're talking about, but I don't have better language than it's like a tape that plays in your cliches. Cliches gets there. Okay. Okay. There are times when those tapes or cliches or just the words of our life that get stuck in our ears and we say them over and over again, that we rely on them and then come to find out those things come from bad backgrounds. Maybe you would say you find out that, oh, you've said this thing all along, but in fact, it has racist undertones that we have lost and didn't really know about. In this passage, Jesus is using the common wisdom of his culture. He has heard everybody in his community refer to Canaanite people as dogs. It was just a fact of life. It's what you called them. And nobody really thought about, should we say that or not? So sometimes I have been like Jesus and relied on the phrases my community has given me and been called out for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think in the most recent years, what this passage has been teaching me is how to react when that happens. Jesus is called out. But what we don't see happen, Jesus does not get defensive. Jesus does not try to continue to put this woman in her place. Jesus does not double down on what he has said. 
Jesus listens. Jesus shifts. Jesus gives this woman what she asks for. And then when we read the rest of the gospel, we see that Jesus's ministry now opens up into all of Galilee. And he does not go back to Jerusalem again until it's time to celebrate his final Passover. Were it not for this woman, would Jesus have opened his ministry to Galilee? Or was his encounter with this person who was other something that shifted him and transformed his ministry? So I appreciate your talking about how much you love this text, and I really do too. This text is troubling for a lot of folks, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's hard to know why. Number one, and I'm sure the way I read this story, which is a pretty straight reading of the story, is offensive. There there are several other interpretations. You can find commentators who have all sorts of explanations as to why this, how this encounter took place. I don't really buy any of those, but there's a, a there's this idea that Jesus is testing her just to see how much faith or that it's a little game, but those things aren't in the text. And the Jesus I know does not play games with sick children. Mm -mm. So I don't, I don't buy that, but I think part of what, if we can, I don't say this flippantly, but if we can lay aside our offense, the taking of offense at what Jesus says, and it is offensive. I think we can see a very human story. Jesus is flat, worn out. Yeah. And he became exhausted, he became frustrated, and he said something he shouldn't have. I have done that a thousand times. Yes. And we all have. And that weariness got the better of him. And the reason why I'm okay saying that, I'm okay believing that, Because in addition to being fully divine, Jesus was fully human. And let's remember, to say otherwise is heresy. Yes. So if he was fully human, he acted like a human sometimes. And that means he got tired, he got worn out, he got weary. What's more, the Bible says Jesus had to grow in wisdom and in stature, meaning Mm -hmm. there's things he had to learn. If he needed to grow, and Jesus did not know all that he needed to know when Mary laid him in the manger. He needed to grow in wisdom. He needed to learn some things. And and I think this is exhibit A. He -hmm. learned something. Mm -hmm. He changed, like you were saying, Nikki. He shifted, and things were different. They were. Good different. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you said all of that because I think you're right. I think when we see Jesus's humanity on such display, we do get offended. Or maybe like we show offense because we don't really know what to do with it. And I think that a reconsideration of what it means to sin, to like really think about that, Like mistakes we make because we are human beings is not the same thing as sin. Mm. Okay. If Jesus had doubled down, 
here, that might be classified as sin. But when Jesus was called out, he responded with thoughtfulness, not with violence, not with pushing away, not with refusing to listen. Jesus responded to his own humanity in a very beautiful way. And I think so then he shows us what it looks like when we are face to face with our humanity, when we screwed up and sent that email that was only supposed to go to one person to the entire group email. (laughs) And all you want to do is get that email back because everybody wasn't supposed to see it. We just make mistakes. That's not. It's okay to make mistakes. And that is not a part of our sinful life. I think it is possible to really engage this text and really think about Jesus's place in this text without letting go of our theological perspective that Jesus lived a perfect life. That doesn't mean he never made human mistakes. Some of us know the Reverend Alyssa Adalpe, who writes for various Christian sites and faith-based sites, and she wrote an article about this text that's very powerful because she, as a Hispanic woman, as a Latina woman, talks about how this text resonated with her that the Canaanite woman story resonates with her many times in her life. She has found connected to it as a Latina navigating predominantly white spaces that assured me my voice is needed, yet who ran to shut my voice off when I simply demanded my scraps. And I love that because it calls attention not just to the humanity of Jesus or the cultural way Jesus may have been speaking that he grew out of, which is very important. But it, for me, helps bring us out to a larger context in our society at this moment as we're dealing with shutting the voices of women, of other minorities around us, especially those of us in predominantly white churches with predominantly white politics. And I'm thinking of immigrants of all people that we we want to just classify them illegals, right? Illegals as opposed to human beings who deserve dignity created in the image of God or criminals or whatever racial slur that we still use today that just completely writes entire people off. And it allows us in our churches to not feel the need to be Christ to them. It allows us in our churches, if we jump ahead to Matthew 25, to not meet Christ. I had the great fortune a few years ago to hear Anna Carter Florence, a preaching professor at Columbia Seminary, preach a sermon on this text. I can't remember if she used the Matthew or the Mark text, but she preached the story. And I just remember her whole sermon was amazing, but the end has stuck with me. And at the end, she focuses on that line where the woman says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And she said that she likes to imagine that after this encounter, every time Jesus tore the bread, when he sat at a table, 
He tore it in such a way so as to send the crumbs flying as far as they could. And that is just such a beautiful image to me. And it's an image that began to shape my own call to ministry and my own ministry that our job is to spread this love and this good news that we know as far as we can spread it. We need to fling it as far as we can fling, just like Jesus with the bread, tearing the bread so that the crumbs go flying. So many good images. The images themselves are sometimes as powerful or more powerful than just the hearing of the text. Sometimes I like to certainly read commentary on what other people have said about a particular text, and that can be really helpful. And I think we've shared several of those comments during the podcast today. But sometimes it, it can be as interesting to look at how people have painted a passage. This is one of those that it's fascinating to me that there's so much art that has been done around this passage. If you go online, and I'm, I always say be careful when you're Googling, but you can search for images of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. And it's amazing the images that come back. Because as an artist, you get to imagine what part of the scene you want to portray. You get to imagine the expressions on the faces, who's included in the scene and who's not. What are they doing? What is their posture? What does that say to you? And I'm looking at a screen full of art right now. <laughs> and some of the artists only focus on the mother and the child. Others focus on the entire scene. You see the disciples and Jesus and the woman, and she may be kneeling. She may, she may not be. There's Jesus. It's really interesting to see the many different kinds of expressions. In some of the scenes, he looks annoyed. In others, he looks merciful. And the way art allows us to express ourselves sometimes can transcend what we can do with words. So it may be as useful as anything for us to be our own artists, <laughs> and imagine this scene, and imagine the people in it, imagine their expressions, imagine them after this scene is over. What are they thinking, feeling, experiencing? Maybe art can be a way to help us get beyond these mental barriers that sometimes limit us in terms of what we can perhaps discern from a text just with words. So yeah, use words. <laughs> Allow this text to be a text in our scriptures. It is. It's right there. And for us to engage it and let it engage us in all the ways that this text wants to, it's a good thing. Because I think we all can say God can handle us <laughs> asking questions about this text, about the nature of Jesus and Jesus' life and ministry. Mm -hmm. And it's great for us to have a God that welcomes, apparently, <laughs> us even being sassy from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.